Scoob Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scoob Obsessed episode 200 is recorded live May 15th, 2014. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and it is getting better. We did have a wet week here, and when I say wet, I mean a rain, but I understand others got in the water, and somebody who may have gotten a little bit wet as well, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Mac? Hello, Mac. <laughs> Hello. Was my mic off? Yes, you must have been muted. Oh, well, I thought I had to because I was ranting and raving. Anyway, glad to be here. It's great. And anytime you go outside in May and you exhale at lunchtime, it's like 1130, 1230, uh-huh. and you can see your breath, it ain't freaking May. <laughs> With, I, I, the water is not even breaking 50 yet. It's would, May, people. I would say we are like three or four weeks behind in our, our seasonal weather. How about a month? Yeah, I just saw some. Some of the ground is just starting to get planted. When was the last time you saw farmers in Michigan, Lower Michigan, near the Great Lakes, where the growing season's longer, start putting seed in the ground this late, and it not be flooded? I mean, that was the reason normally. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, and also joining us, Jim Schultz. How you doing today, Jim? I'm doing just fine, thank you. I was smart enough to stay inside today, where it was warmer and drier. <laughs> I I had a meeting at the school on Monday. Everybody was in shorts and we were sweating. And uh yeah, now now here we are at the end, end of the week and you can see your breath. Yeah, 39 degrees today when I was taking a ride in the car. And I think it stayed about 39. I looked at the thermometer in the morning when I got up and every time I checked it was between 39 and 42. Yeah. Well, I declared it summer last on Monday. Because I was able to have my sandals on, my Bermudas, and T-shirt. I was gloriously happy in my ignorance. <laughs> well, well, I, Monday night, I actually had turned the air conditioner on for a little while because I couldn't get the bedroom to cool down, and it was really muggy. So I turned it on to take the humidity out for a while. Yeah, I, I didn't resort to the air conditioner, but I was about ready to. And I was surprised. Normally, the kids and wife will be on it when it gets that warm. Uh, I think my wife is, you know, after the three, $400 a month uh, utility bills in the winter, I think she's more than happy to let it coast a while. Well, you know, we have uh, frost warnings for tomorrow morning, right? Yes. They've already yeah. warned the, the people out there, if you got any plants you want to keep, you know, those farmers and acres and acres, they got their trouble. <laughs> they got troubles, baby. Yeah, they're, they're going to put saran wrap over everything that they've got out there. Ah. <sighs> been an interesting couple of weeks and that it has been so we are ready for some dive weather Um, but let's go ahead before we do we start talking about diving let's well before we even get to that point we had people who were asking what we're going to do special for episode 200 and i don't really have any ideas i i think i don't know is 200 a a big milestone that we well it's it's a 
any every time you get to a hundred, it's a milestone. Look how many cast and and items like that don't even last a hundred. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll have to do something. It may not be this episode. We'll, we're going to change some stuff up this episode just because I did things in a little bit different order. But I couldn't. Th- some we, some of the recommendations we had we had uh, from Twitter. They said instead of the bad scuba joke, we should do scuba karaoke. Uh, you mean you and Jim? <laughs> I'll get I'll get the wax paper put over my comb, and you guys can sing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I, so yeah, I don't worry, Jim, I didn't cue any music up, so we, we won't be doing scuba karaoke. It would certainly change our idea about, it would change our ideas about bad jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, they they did sound much better. That's all right. I've got my own music. We'll just cue it up and, and surprise you in the middle of the show. Yeah. But I I think, I I think it just means that we're going to have to do something really big for episode 250. So 250 will be the big one, which if we keep on the rate we've been going, it will probably be about mid to late June next year. So we'll do something. But uh, we certainly appreciate everybody who's listening to the show, who supported us through 200 episodes. Uh, I kind of hinted to Jim Kleeman a couple times over the last week saying, hey, we're coming up on 200. He says, hey, that's great. But he, he didn't offer to come. He's he's on the road right now. He'll probably listen to this episode we're recording now in about two or three weeks. So hi, Jim. The other Jim. And uh, so let's let's go ahead and get the news out of the way, and we'll we'll talk about some other things. So first up, and when I said change it up, we are going to start with the video of the week. And many of you by now have probably already seen this one, but we have the the underwater attack in Hawaii. We have an environmentalist who uh, was attacked while scuba diving. And uh, if I happen to have the show notes updated by the time you see this, you can click on the show notes and see it. If not, you'll be able to probably just do a Google search. As I was looking for show notes for tonight, the first four pages of anything scuba-related in the news had to deal with this. But as the story goes, a scuba diver was attacked in Hawaii while underwater about 50 feet, and they said there's a possible dispute over collecting reef fish. The environmentalist, Reen Umbinger, 53, was part of a diving group off of uh, Kona Coast last Thursday document coral reef damage when one of two scuba divers who are not part of the group ripped off her breathing regulator. According to the station, the assault was captured on two cameras. She says this na- man needs to be arrested for attempted murder, she told the station. She said that even after she's able to get a regulator back in and breathe again, the suspect made more threatening gestures to her. I honestly thought he was coming back for a second attack. I got up in the boat and said, oh my God, somebody just tried to kill me underwater. The victim told the station that she knows who the suspect is, remember that point, and wants to press charges. The State Division of Conservation and Resource Enforcement said they are investigating and will turn over the information to the county prosecutor's office. She credits her over 10,000 dives with giving her the experience to safely handle the situation. An inexperienced diver would have likely panicked, she said, either panic from the stress of the situation and shoot for the surface. They may panic because the air source is missing and they can't find it. Any of these things causes a diver to shoot for the surface, and those incidents often lead to death. Never in a million years did I think someone would attack me like that, especially from such a distance. It's not like we were up close and in the face. The greater issue is that Hawaii's reefs are being emptied by these commercial operations. Hawaii's reefs are suffering incredible from this unlimited collection. According to KGMB, collecting reef fish is legal 
with a permit as long as one is on the designated area and meets, or one is in the designated area and meets the fish size, season, and quantity rules. So far, there's no evidence the suspect was diving illegally. Now, the video, if you haven't had a chance to see it, uh, there's there's two shots, and in the couple that I've seen, they've 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 cut them together, and you see two divers off in the distance, and I can't tell what they're over. It looks like some concrete blocks or something, some maybe some underwater markers, and then it's almost like I don't know if you've ever been a, been attacked by a hornet, where you can see it way at the distance, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, it's right there in your face, and that's what happens. That diver who attacked her was moving. I mean, he was motivated to come over there. Now, let, uh, so this happened last Thursday. It was reported and got quite a, it's a, oh, darn it. I just uh, deleted my other show note here. Let me undo that paste. Okay. And it's been getting quite a bit of traction in the news, and it's all over. So if you haven't seen it, probably even your local media should be picking it up. And as soon as I get this next article up, we'll have some additional information. Go ahead, Jim. It's interesting how the different news media, uh, you know, they all reported the underwater diver being, or the diver being attacked underwater, and pretty much all had the same video. But, you know, one side of the story presented it, uh, this was a diver who was attacked. Uh, The other side of the story presented it, or another another news outlet presented it, that this was a fisherman legally... Uh, collecting his fish, doing his job, uh, and was being harassed by this diver. So he took action to get the diver out of his way because he didn't know what the diver was going to do. Basically a preemptive action. Yeah. Well, my point is I really don't think there's any excuse for attacking somebody underwater. I mean, if you ripped somebody's regulator out, you have no idea what the experience level they're at and whether they can handle it. Now... It sounds like both of these individuals knew each other and that uh, there may have been some other situations that aren't we're not aware of at this point. Um, the underwater confrontation was filmed from two angles, the diver herself and then another diver who was snorkeling at the surface. Uh, they, the, they, what they said is they've tried contacting, uh, this is another new, this is actually the AP and uh, ABC News, said that they had tried and contact the the diver who did the attack, and he hasn't been he hasn't responded. Uh, but the brothers said that uh, that they were being harassed. Uh, well, it's also stipulated yeah. that that video was staged from the aspect you only see retaliation for harassment that you didn't see on the video, which would make sense if you want to show your side. Irritate the hell out of the other people, and when they respond, get their side. Well, and right. it makes yeah. them look like the bad guys. Yeah, well, that's what I want to know. Is that the first, is have they were they harassing them earlier? I mean, is that in the same dive or is it in previous dives? And, and the significant part, like we talked about a little earlier, was their comment in response to this harassment said, people are afraid, they're very afraid for their boats, they're afraid for their lives in some cases because of the reputation Sea Shepherd has. The group is from the Sea Shepherd, and if anybody's seen the anti-whaling and the anti-dolphins and what they do against other people, it may change your viewpoint on what the guy apparently did in the video. Yeah, and I'm not going to defend the guy in the video, but uh, there was a one article mentioned that there were six to eight divers around him uh, before he 
ripped the regulator out of her mouth. So, yeah, I think Mac hit it on the head with, you know, where the video might only be showing half the story, and that's the other half. I mean, I was reading these articles. This is a regulated uh, environmental operation. You know, they, they've got recently passed laws for how many fish they can take, what size the fish have to be, where they can take them from. You know, the state of Hawaii is controlling this from all reports. Uh, it's just the, the uh, environmental group uh, apparently doesn't agree with the state's regulations and are trying to enforce their own intimidation. Certainly. If, you, if you're not happy with the law, you work to change it. Uh, you know, if you're out there harassing somebody, not saying this is what they're doing, but it, it could be. If you're out harassing somebody, that's not an appropriate action. Uh, they're saying that the Hawaii's aquarium fish collectors are reportedly catching more than 550,000 specimens worth $1.1 million in 2009. And this is according to a state report published in 2010. They said the value of the actual catch, however, may be two to five times that amount. And I think the reason why they're saying that is because they're, they're talking wholesale versus retail. Now, here's what I find funny. They said they spent five years lobbying Hawaiian, Hawaiian lawmakers for legislation to control or ban the aquarium trade, but none of the bills have passed. Well, we know that's not true because there's been the, uh, bills that have passed in Hawaii just in the last six months that have limited the ability to take aquarium fish. Right, yeah. and there are sections. They're in certain designated right. areas. They're not the whole Hawaiian state. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing is, gosh, you know, my opinion is that Fish are not people. You know, I know that Nemo, the movie, made him look real cute, you know, kind of like what Bambi did for deer. But, you know, fish are fish, and they're a resource, and they can be conserved. And, you know, the, you definitely need to protect them to the extent that you don't overfish them to extinction. But to say that nobody can ever take them anywhere, take any for any reason, I think is too far. Um, so, you know, from a, if, if, if she is indeed part of Sea Shepherd, they got what they wanted, which is the PR. You know, there's now an awareness, there's now a discussion on it. You know, they won. So, I actually, I do hope this goes to court because I want to see it in court. I want to see both sides have their time and, and maybe we get to truth, which I know is not what the legal system's for, but I can dream. Well, as a side note, when you look at this, if you look at the comments at the end of it, depend on which side of the coin you looked at as was that in retaliation for harassment or was that assault, the spectrum goes both ways. One group is four because the harassment aspect, and the other group was, well, they did really harass them after all. I go back to my old sea hunt movie. The law days. says they can do it. The they should shirts. not be harassed. Mike, you were saying about sea hunt? I go Jim? back to the old sea hunt TV show days. Yeah, Mike, go back to the old, you know, watch the old reruns of sea hunt. And every episode, Mike Nelson ended up cutting the double hose regulator to get whoever he was fighting to go to the surface. Yeah. You know, so so that's always been the way you defend yourself. You whip out your knife and you he, cut he, their hose. Except this guy chose not to whip out the knife. He just pulled the regulator out of their mouth. I still think it, it was not a good move. Right. You know, uh, definitely some, in my opinion, some action needs to be taken because that was a... a very dangerous move to make. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's just so. like on the surface, and it's multiplied when it's underwater. On the surface, somebody irritates you. you can always my, remember my dad saying, you know, be careful for what, what you say and do, even if you're legally allowed to do it, because somebody may punch you in the nose. And uh, the kind of the same things happened here. Uh, now, as far as charges, uh, they haven't said what they are, but just from previous law enforcement experience, there's, there's going to be a variety of charges they can get. They can get them under assaults. Uh, they can get them on attempt to cause great bodily harm less than murder. I mean, I'm, if, you, if you look at what she's tried to pitch, you'd, you'd think that it should be attempted murder. Reckless endangerment. Yeah, reckless endangerment. Because uh, so let let's let's say that it went as bad as possible for her, where he comes up and then he pulls a regulator out. She goes to the surface, embolizes, and dies. I don't think this would be first degree murder unless they were able to identify that he had premeditated at some point. Right. It would probably be, uh, you know, man manslaughter. Man, yep. Something along those lines. Well, it'll be interesting to see <clears throat> what happens in the courts, uh, where the prosecutor takes it, and yeah. where this ends up. I'm sure we'll be talking about this for months to come. Yeah. If I if I was there, you know, let me predict what their his defense attorney is going to say. His defense attorney is going to say that they were being harassed. He knew she was an experienced diver, and they were only at 50 feet. You know, the, the training agencies all provide training on how to do a safe descent, even without air, from 50 feet. So there was, she was at no risk. It was just he was trying to get her out of the water to, to protect himself. Now, does this give us give Patty or Nowie an idea for a new class? Defensive diving? Yeah. I, mean, is that, is I that would what say is? Better, better classes than bank stick use. <laughs> Ooh. Mm. <laughs> Hey, if you come closer than six feet, might you might hit my the bank stick I had over my shoulder. Yeah, for the sharks. Did I say that out loud? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but nobody's listening. Now, how's now, this? Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that going to have to be a registered weapon? The bank if stick. You're the... down there, and you've got that, and you're blindly working at the reef, and somebody bumps up against your bank stick. I mean, that's not your problem. <laughs> Well, bang stick, that that can have a quite a few different meanings. Could be. Or a shark dart. That would be bad. Just well, don't do that in really bad visibility, I suppose. Oh, that would be bad. Now, now speaking of bad days, how about this next one? Uh, deep sea vehicle, the, uh, was it, how do you pronounce that? Norius was lost six miles down. Uh, the vehicle had a catastrophic implosion. That likely led to the vehicle that uh, was lost. It was the only currently functioning scientific vehicle that's capable of working at such depths. The vehicle was owned and operated by the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute and was one of a kind. They said the surface debris spotted the surface debris spotted the day after researchers on a support ship lost contact vehicle suggests it suffered a catastrophic explosion. And this was in the Carmetic Trench, northeast of New Zealand. Its loss has certainly put a... I saw a great quote in one of the articles. What was that? Uh, One of the operators was quoted as saying, oops. (laughs) Oops, yeah. That would be an oops. It was an $8 million investment. They say it's a 
tragic loss for deep science. I wonder if they're going to try and recover it at all. From that depth, you know what really happened. I mean, you've really got to look at the context of what they said. They've been doing this for 30 days of a 40-day expedition, okay? Mm -hmm. What they have done is harassed that UFO that was down there, and it swatted (laughs) it. Plain and simple. Yeah, it was was tired of it. It it came over, it swam, and it it tried to cut its uh, umbilical cord. I mean, you know, they they just didn't like the paparazzi effect that they had. And had it not been down there, it wouldn't have happened. Simple. Yeah. Well, and they didn't talk about it in the article, and I'm surprised nobody's brought it up, but we've lost I other... I had any debris come up from 6,000 feet. Yeah, I would be surprised at what... I'm just trying to think of maybe... Because if you look at it, there's some tubes on the side of this drawing. Uh, so I wonder if it was just stuff that came out or loosened. Uh, there was another vessel similar to this that i trying to think it was the 80s or 90s. And it, I don't think it was Alvin, but it was one of those others. And what it did is it had the glass spheres, and that's what it used for buoyancy. And one of those imploded, and uh, it, they basically lost that ROV. So they must have had some parts that came up, and the only way they could have come up is if the if it basically broke apart. Hey, actually, I mean, it could they could have been worse. It could have happened at the beginning of the trip. I mean, if you're 30 days into a 40-day event, that's, yeah, you got something. Yeah, but all the other planned events that you had and probably got money supporting, you, you know, they've what, had six, five or six more expeditions to use this equipment later in the year. Oh, yeah. All they, that they just have, went to the uh, toilet. Oh, yeah. They they have this stuff booked kind of like uh, a telescope. Yeah, people who've logged on a piece of paper, all their pet projects, and they get approved way in advance. Well, they say they found a new species of bass identified based on larval adult specimens. Two scientists from the National Museum of Natural History in the Smithsonian have identified a mysterious larval fish and the same fish at its adult stage as a new species of sea bass. Most fish that live in the ocean have a pelagic larval stage that floats inside the surface or near surface currents, an ecosystem very distinct from the one that occupies as adults. Two distinct environments often call for two distinct physiques and appearances to maximize the odds of survival leading to larvae that appear very different from adults of the same species. A newly identified fish described in a new report published in PLOS Online, PLOS 1, uh, first came to attention researchers via photograph in a previous study. It was identified as a member of the sea bass family, but seven very long dorsal fin spines made it a unique-looking specimen. This feature is known in any Atlantic sea bass larvae, but is very similar to one species in the Indo-Pacific sea bass. This according to author David Johnson, a zoologist at the Smithsonian Museum. We initially thought that the larva must be must have been caught in the Indo-Pacific Ocean, but we were wrong. However, the fish larvae in the photo was identified as being captured in the Florida Straits, a body of water located between Florida and Cuba. To properly identify the fish, the studying team obtained a mysterious larva from further review, and they found that the DNA of the specimen did not match up with any recognized fish in their database. Only then did the researchers begin considering the larva as a new species in spite of not having an adult specimen. They said it was one of those cases where the stars were properly aligned. We discovered new species of sea bass on Kiriko deep reefs that just happens to be the missing adult stage of the larva fish from Florida, which we only knew existed because it was included as a decoration, a scientific publication. What a great little fish story. So and again, you, you're talking at depths, deep yeah. reefs. 
I like the part where they talk about uh, you can't access using typical scuba gear. And if you're paying a lot of money for deep diving submersibles that go to titanic depths, you're not stopping at three to 800 feet to look for fishes. Exactly. That's really not so, what... It is sort of interesting. Now, you know, you're worried about the shallow end of the reefs and now look down another thousand feet and how much life do you have below that? Yeah. Most of it. Yeah, I think you've got, you're going to have some fish that are in a particular vertical. You know, they whatever they eat or live or do whatever is going to be at a certain depth. And then, because uh, what was the one that we had last week that they, they found? Oh, what was that fish? But they said that they were vertical, that they would move up and down. That's probably just to get different things. It's kind of like going through the through the woods and the grasslands and the different environments because you're you're going. Well, I didn't get my lunch here. I'll go find it someplace else. So, and now we have some forecasts possible for the Urjukadej. Is that what? How, um, I R U K A N D J I. It looks like a Dutch name, doesn't it? Arukandij or something. Yeah, something. That's that's kind of like somebody took like those boggle letters, just rolled them out and says, whatever this spells, we're naming a jellyfish after it. But it is a box jellyfish. Researchers from Australia say that monitoring changes in ocean winds can help establish where and when the jellyfish will strike. They said they travel in very, very large numbers. It's not uncommon to have dozens of sting on a beach one day. The jellyfish bodies and tentacles are invisible in water. It's just like a diamond dropped in a glass of water. You just can't see them. They're no bigger than thimbles. The jellies are a menace to swimmers. Brushing past one of their superfine tentacles excruciatingly painful and can lead to hospitalization. In the very worst case, an encounter can even prove fatal. They can be life-threatening, according to Dr. Gershwin from CSIRO's Wealth from Ocean's flagship institute in Hobart, Tanzania. Until now, they've never been predictable. To find out more on researchers focused on the Great Barrier Reef where jellyfish blooms can have a major impact on tourism, they compared a sting database containing records collected between 1985 and 2012 with medium-range weather forecasts. They found a drop in strong southeast trade winds which blow across the ocean coincided with the arrival of the jellyfish. And I guess what it comes down to is they said that these jellyfish only like calm, clear water. So any case where there's uh, any turbulence or cloudy water, you won't find them. See, another reason why you come you come to the Great Lakes to dive. We don't have any jellyfish that are going to sting you. And then this article is a little closer to home. I think you guys might even know this guy. I have lost audio in case somebody else is talking. No, it's just I've been quiet because the news is coming up. That's why. No, it was a drop. Well, maybe it was dropping oh. out for you, but right. it was just, uh, was, was Jim saying his audio is dropping? Yeah, you're both dropping in and out as far as my hearing it, by the way. Got that wobble sound to it. Wobbly sound. No, I, I always sound fine. I don't know what you're talking about. Diver. You hopes- do right to suck. <laughs> so here we have a diver who hopes to find artifacts from the former Oak Park Amusement Center. Diver Kevin. How, how do we say Kevin's last name? Is that Ailes? Ailes? Can you, can Ailes. He's in, the di- he, he's, in, he's in the Michigan Underwater Divers Club. Yeah, he's in the Mud Club. So Kevin Ailes. See, I should be able to pronounce his name. Uh, he's, 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 and we talked about it. You, you and uh, Jim dove with him 
few weeks ago helping him look for this. And he is getting some local coverage in the newspaper, which... Yes, we were out there. Yep. And supposedly there's supposed to be an article today, but I haven't seen it. Uh, But this is some photos, which wasn't too bad. It would have been nice to have some underwater photos, but good for Kevin to get out there in the paper. Now he just needs Well, hopefully we would uh, see Hummingbird would see that first photo and give him some uh, financial support or better gear. You'll notice that's a hummingbird. Hummingbird. That he had on his little search boat. Uh-huh. Yeah, so like, like, just just like we get all those. It wouldn't hurt to have him kind of backing from them. Yeah, just like we get all the sponsors for the show. You, you hear them all advertising constantly because they, they want everybody to know. I'm still waiting for the tow sub. <laughs> tow sub, the magnetometer, the underwater ROV. The dive boat, dive gear, compressors. Uh, right now, I think I did the side scan first, and I'll worry about the others. I will manage if someone wants to give uh, to loan the club a side scan for even a month. Uh, we will make arrangements to use it in a very exhaustive manner. We'll we'll even do video. Just a side note. We'll, we'll do. We could we could have uh, you know make make sure that your gear's got your logo real big on it. And we'll we'll have it in all the video shots, kind of like how Apple does. I'll uh, get over. t-shirts with your logo. Yep, supported by these. I tell you, I wish my audio connection was better. I'll even get a tattoo. You'd even get it now. That there's something there. Tattoo. Wish my audio was better for you guys. What do you got, Jim? That you wish the audio was better for? I'm sorry, I was going to say I wish the audio was better because I'm not getting a whole lot of the conversation. You guys are breaking up on my end quite a bit, but uh, if you're talking about sponsorship and trying to get a better side scan or any equipment for to get wet to get out and go scanning, I'm all over it. Cool. I'll put well, sponsors all over my boat. There you go. We'll have, we'll have to do that. We'll be we'll look like a the NASCAR of uh, scuba diving. If that's what it takes, absolutely. So how about this next one? You'd almost think it was an April Fool's joke, but China unveils plans to build an 8,000-mile high-speed underwater railway line to the United States. It actually isn't just the United States. It's a, They'd be connecting China, Russia, Canada, and the U.S., and it would cross uh, an undersea tunnel spanning the Bering Strait. The plan was announced by the Chinese state-run newspaper, the Beijing Times, and apparently Russia is already on board. A little bit of further investigation reveals that Russia has been on board two or three times in the past. They gave a green light to a project back in 2011 that was saying the same thing. I like some of the, the artist renditions they had in here, where it's, it's more of a, a sub that runs on a rail track as opposed to uh, anything else. I guess you could do that way. You'd have a lot of resistance, though, wouldn't you? You would think you would. More resistance in water I was than in the Yeah, but they did. They did say that they were gonna. They were gonna put it in a tunnel. I will wait till they get the first hundred miles done before I'd even think they're they're serious about it. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine the magnitude of the cost of that? Well, they're they're saying right now that. Uh, but they're really talking, it says, only 125-mile undersea tunnel spanning the Barren Strait. Now, if they're talking that portion underwater, okay, now you're more doable, about yeah. 8,000 freaking miles. Yeah, well, the, the line would be an 8,000-mile rail line. It's 125 Correct. miles under the Bering Strait. 
which I said years ago when, when I can remember when the Soviet Union fell apart, I said at that point in time, somebody needs to build a bridge or something that connects the two continents together and then do a pipeline because that would have reduced a lot of the conflict we're having now because really it's all about gas and oil. But you've got uh, this this undertaking, which would be good. Uh, I, I think it would be a nice project to do. They said that the it's still a significant engineering feat. It would be more than twice the length of all the under, underwater tunnels that have been done put together. So uh, quite a bit. You're going to you know have a pretty serious TBM to be able to handle this. Plus, I don't know how deep is, that, is the strait there between the U.S. and, and Russia. I excuse me. I'm not really sure, but I believe it's what uh, 55 meters. That's not really the challenge there. It's the currents and the tides, I think. But then, if you look at the long range, even those are not uh, severe. You do have ice, and that's probably the biggest aspect. But you're talking under the ice. Yeah, if you did it, if you did it underground, like the the channel was like, you know, quite a bit. What would we say last when we did that article? It was. 20 or 40 meters under the seafloor? Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure on that, but I was looking at another, just an article on that right now. And uh, depth-wise, it looks very, very feasible. Uh, bottom terrain looks to be feasible. The ice is not an issue. And they actually estimated this back in 1994. And they estimated the cost of the bridge to be a few billion dollars. Because they're actually talking about building a bridge over it as opposed to a tunnel under it. The initial yes. one. Yes. See, and I think that would have made sense at the time to go and, and pursue something along those lines. Well, it would be a lot cheaper because they were talking initially uh, in 1958, it would have been $1 billion for a 50-mile span. Mm-hmm. Now, 58, that's a long time ago. Yeah. In 94, it was updated to $4 billion. And again, 94 to now, you're talking... The longer you wait, the more it costs. Yeah, so I would say that same thing would probably be twenty to thirty billion now. But yeah. anytime the planet has undertaken well, any, what's the return on your investment? The, the return on the invest. The tough thing about the return on investment is the people who benefit most aren't the ones who are directly paying for it. Because you, you think if you had it, let's say it's a bridge, you've got commerce on both sides that is local. You have the benefit of the construction. Uh, you also have a lot of people who it, in their minds, it potentially hurts uh, if you can get the... Okay, okay. hopefully your, your part showed up really good or you recorded good because you broke up the whole thing you were talking. Oh, yeah. yeah. The advantage I've got is the recording is always good. So everybody who listens thinks that you guys are crazy when you say it's breaking up. But you guys do sound like chipmunks about half the time. I don't know what it is. There must be something on the Internet. It seems that any time we're recording between 10 and 11 is when it all goes to hell. It's the FCC now. They're just trying to prove a point, I guess, with the... Uh, yeah, things are we net. Yeah, that, worse. that net neutrality discussions, is this is people throttling then. <laughs> well, As a side note, I just sent you a link uh, through mm-hmm. Whittapik, and it talks about the history of wanting to build the bridge underwater, mm-hmm. and it's quite interesting when you look at it to give... Like what they talked about from '58 up to the current time, and how much the money difference has really increased. I'm going to take and a look. That actually has some good pictures there also for you. The route yeah. of the bridge. Yeah, I'm I'm pulling it up now. The Bering Strait. Yeah, it's interesting because it goes from Russia, and 
stops in the middle almost to uh, a series of islands. Uh, one major, I can't pronounce it, D-I-O-M-E-D-E, I think. There's another one right off the right of it, and then it comes to the United States. So actually, that is beginning to look more feasible, either from the bridge aspect or the tunnel. Or maybe you it, do it's a, com- a matter of you, the money. You do a combination. Maybe it makes sense to do it in one spot or the other. But I'm always for. The, I'm I'm a big lover of these large civil engineering projects. There's so many indirect benefits that happen. You learn new engineering. You get new technologies, new capabilities. I think Jim got lost yeah. momentarily. Yeah, we're we're, we're we're grabbing him back. Well, some of the advantages of this would be the amount of rail that you'd have to build from the U.S. through Canada to Alaska, which would only be good. You know, you're talking about jobs. Right, the jobs would be great. Absolutely. That's a lot of money spent that's going to stay on both sides. Yeah. Back on. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how they do it. It's, it's almost like when, when you see stuff like that, it's like somebody wanted us to build that bridge. Because now you got our government acting all wacky with this whole Ukraine mess. The problem is the bridge is not shovel ready. Well, how about this next one? We've got the deepest pool in the world opens in Italy. So if you remember, we had talked about Nemo 33 in the past. Well, we now have Welcome to Y40. It opened on Saturday, May 10th. It is now named Y40. It is a 40-meter or 131-feet-deep pool. It has become the single deepest pool ever built in the world. The Belgian Nemo 33 was the previous record holder. They said it was the perfectly organized project with construction lasting just a little more than one year. Water temperature will hover between 32 and 34 degrees Celsius or 89 and 93 degrees Fahrenheit. Is there any... Wow. In tropical water, does it stay that even all the way down? Well, it can only get so cold. And when you start looking at five miles deep or whatever, you know, it can only go between, you know, surface temperature less than 100 degrees. Not not even that. What? Uh, 60 degrees? Uh-huh. Over how many miles? And you start at that, you're going to get strirations. I don't. I've never really looked at that, but uh, that's not a lot of variance anyway. I no. mean, it can't get 32 degrees. Or uh, okay, let's say let's say 29. But at the coldest, yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're keeping everything so, warm. I don't know. It's 89 to 93 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, what? What? what what's that? So. What are they actually going to be doing with this, actually? Is it for uh, free diving training? Well, if you look at their logo, they're showing a free diver. So that's what my thought is, is that, well, it's it's really a PR stunt for a hotel. So this is at the center of a, of a hotel entertainment project, and so they're trying to make this a tourist destination. You know, you get a ton of free publicity. Uh, I've already seen a lot of people say that they're going to have to go and do it you know we're going to see the next three years of all sorts of science programs are going to show it but i i think we need to do the uh, a 50 meter pool <laughs> you mean a tube like this one you know i was thinking about all that, that. means is we go get a used missile silo gut it out yeah 
Well, I, I, that's what I was thinking about that is that, you know, the tubes have been done. I mean, that's what this is. And it's 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 got some interesting designs. There's a few different sections. But how about if you did two tubes and then maybe had connection points between them? Something to provide some different types of training. Maybe you could do some cavern training or something. Seems like it would just be simpler to put a boat, sink a boat offshore. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. But I like these big projects. This is, I mean, this is certainly neat. Uh, they don't say how much it costs to go dive in there, though. I'm sure you just don't walk in and pay five bucks and you're in the pool. Yeah, I was curious about that. Let's see, the website, which is www.y-40.com. wonder if they've got anything showing, if I get it to come up. Now, you said you got a, there's, is that a missile silo for sale? I just sent you one, uh, just for fun, since you were talking about this. Uh, I can get you one right now on sale. Yeah, missile silo for sale. I just bought one here, got one for you right here. $750,000. Uh, it's great. There's several of them available. Uh, and this one here that we're looking at is uh, fifty-two feet diameter, one hundred eighty-five feet deep, and the top part is all the features of a normal single-family residence. And you can just expand like crazy. Well, if is, yeah, if this is one hundred eighty-five feet deep, you flood that, you've already beat them. Oh, trying to call me back. Okay. Okay. Now this next one. So that, that kind of does it for scuba in the news. We have a You're back there again. What's that? So I think this is an advertisement for Skype and their new system. I think they're they're just trying to make this current Skype suck so bad that the the new one will go on. You there, Mac? I'm there. Uh, everybody's breaking up, so I thought I'd keep my mouth shut for a minute. <laughs> just a minute, though. Yeah. Well, this next one is a skeleton. We were talking about the scientists discovered the oldest intact skeleton? Yeah, Yeah, this is discovered by scuba divers. It was a 12,000-year-old skeleton in the Yucatan Peninsula, and they're saying it leads to clues about the first Americans. Must be Jim moving his headset. Uh, It says one of the earliest occupants of the Americans yet accounted suggests... uh, that it was not just a simple straight migration from the old world to the new world. And they go into a lot of details about different theories. But what I think is cool is it was found by scuba divers. He said in his 20 years of scuba diving experience, he's seen quite a few bones of birds and small rodents, but nothing like this. For this, this is the discovery of our lifetime. We were not going in there to find the oldest American. We were three friends planning to explore some caves in Mexico. All of a sudden we ran into this, but we did take it seriously. They returned multiple times or take photographs, eventually shared their findings with the Mexican government, National Institute of Arch- Anthropology and History. The team of archaeologists and paleontologists there wanted to make sure they didn't disturb or damage the artifacts, so they extracted the tiniest possible DNA s- samples from the skeleton's teeth. In a unique twist, the skeleton spent more than a year training Nava, Alvarez, and At- Adolini in archaeology and paleontology to keep them involved in the project, incorporate the men into into the diving team that has been exploring and documenting the cave and the continent. And this is also supported by the National Geographic Society. Now, that's nice. I have to say, to let the people who discovered it be involved in the research is a heck of a lot better than pushing them out of the way and then giving it to somebody else. He said, we ended up being the hands and eyes of the researchers. Are you still there, Mac, or did I scare you off? I, I can still hear you, but again, you're breaking up, so I'm never sure when I'm hearing you or when you had a break up or you're not there. <laughs> here, here, hold on a second. I'm going to pause this, call you back, 
Maybe we'll okay. clean up this connection. Okay. The glaciers melted, fill it with water, so I don't know what that neutral, chemically neutral water meant. I'm not sure. And again, for bones being in the water for 10, 12,000 years. Yeah. Yeah, so chemically neutral, they must mean like perfectly neutral pH. So it wasn't attacked either acidically or by alkal or alkaline, really. But it makes me wonder why is that true? Unless obviously you got a pool of water that's been sealed from other stuff coming into it. But I thought you would have had chemicals leaching from the strata into the water. Well, maybe it's the strata. Do they give a depth on that? Let's see. Uh, I'm not seeing any depth in there. Because they're definitely obvious they're using rebreathers and they're talking about a mile long tunnel. Whoa. Definitely hardcore. Yeah. They said we we returned. Okay, so they found the cave after making their way down a mile-long tunnel and suddenly a pitch-black expanse that wasn't accessible from the surface. Since they couldn't see anything around them, they called it Hiro Negro, which in Spanish means black hole. A few months later, with special lighting equipment, they were amazed to find a dome-shaped cave about 200 feet in diameter. So I'm going to guess they're fairly deep. The moment we entered the site, we knew it was an incredible place. The thing that it, it, you have to wonder is, was how how did the bones get there? If you're that far into a cave, did the body sink and then float down there and then drop? Or Well, you figure that he discovered this cave, which was not underwater at the time. Okay. Yeah, I could buy that. So they're saying that. Yeah, how time, do you get 12, 000, a mile down into a cave? Yeah, yeah. So... It's twelve thousand years ago in the sea level, so that would put it, you know, early ice age. Well, I don't know how early ice age, but the ice age was still going on at that point in time. So sea levels are probably another hundred feet lower. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's that's possible. Maybe it was a dry cave at the time, and somebody just expired, died, or was laid to rest there. But cool, good job for the scuba divers. It w- it would be interesting to see a pictorial of the map of the of the world at that time. Yeah. Just to see where that looked. Yeah, they, they could do that. You know, it's National Geographic, a good reason to have a subscription. I bet you that this will eventually come out, and they'll probably talk about these particular items. Well, how's this for some scuba gear? A Turkish firm is producing a one-man submarine. And we have seen these before. Probably covered them a couple times. If you if you picture a little scooter... Oh, yes, we saw something similar. Yep, and then they've got a dome that goes over their head. So you really, it appears that they're telling you you don't need any dive experience. I'm hoping they have them balanced so it doesn't flip upside down. That would be a bad day. I guess all you'd have to do is clean out the gear before you gave it to the next person. Well, I would be willing to try one out and uh, give a user evaluation. Yeah, that could be handy. I wonder if you can talk between them. Do they say? You know, if you if you're on one and you've got somebody else in another one, do they have uh, problem symptoms uh, between with them? With the, uh, you wouldn't need it in the bubble. You can talk and you could actually hear across. And if you definitely touch the head or the units together, you'd have conduction of the voice. I mean, if you take a glove and uh-huh. inflate it with air and talk, you can hear. If you're right by the person, you can hear that. So you, it's called glove talk. That's back from a long time ago. So I imagine in this, I could talk. If you're near me and I didn't have engine noise, you'd be able to hear me. 
It'd be fun to try. Yeah, that they could send us one. They're only what they're what they they saying about five six thousand dollars each. Submersible will sell for five thousand dollars. Said they've received attention in Dubai, Egypt, Malaysia, Philippines, Thailand, and the United States as well as Turkey. They're calling it the adrenaline the adrenaline scuba do. Sure, send me one. I'd try it out. <laughs> Two. Well, it's yeah. my color, so I get to try it first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I say that does it for Scuba the News. I think we've, we've beat that to death. We had some articles uh, with some photos, but I think maybe we'll save those for next week. We'll come back to them. So, I, I did notice one item that I that yeah. I did think was interesting as we're doing this, mm-hmm. and that question just sort of popped in my mind. Why octopus arms don't get tangled? You ever, you ever think of that? Why they don't get tangled? I, I don't know. Why tangled, not? yeah. I mean, you got all these little things flopping around. How come he never gets those, you know? I mean, because you, you look at this, he's got all those hundred suckers. They all, you know, behave independently. So you would think that they'd touch one and all of a sudden it would grab on the, the other arm and the other one grab onto the other one. And you'd have a ball of tentacles all in a wrap, you know. So it was just one of those side things when you're looking at the jellyfish. That it said, why do they not get their arms tangled up? So hmm. I just thought I'd toss a confusion factor in for you. Yeah, that'll be good. And especially even better because the internet was all acting up at the point in time. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, I also know the reason and how that works, but I just thought I'd toss that out. But is it that time is what you're saying for what's going on in the wonderful world of diving in Michigan? Well, what we need to do, is, yeah, we need to find out or find out, talk about what happened in diving last week. Uh, Jim mentioned that, uh, and, and because the internet connection was acting so bad for tonight, he's he's bowed out. But uh, he mentioned that they had two boats go out last week with eight divers on it. Well, yeah, yeah, you were not party to any of that. Actually, nine divers. Nine, and wow. it, it's it started out. Quite interesting, because uh, you had two boats out there. You had Mr. Bob and three, and you had Mr. Jim and four, I believe. And it's one of those typical, if it can go wrong, somebody will do something wrong. <laughs> oh, really? So what happened? But since you had, I think they said, yeah, I think you had like eight people in the water, but nine went out. Well, if you've read most of the items, there's a little comedy of errors like, oh, yeah, do I need my dry suit that's not here? Well, uh, whoops. <laughs> and then you get out there and you can't make the speed you want and you realize your prop is, oh, I got a uh, different prop on that I really need for this. So then you change the prop. And then uh, when you come back, everything is great, except then your motor quits for no reason, 50 feet from the dock, which is why you have paddles. Wow. <clears throat> you heard those, right? Yeah, I, I heard that Bob had to do a I little think bit of paddling. Yeah, and I think they had one free ascent from the bottom uh, on a dry suit with a stuck valve. Oh, no. No injuries or anything. It was a very entertaining, interesting, and uh, I'm sure there's lots of lessons learned that we'll be party to at the next club meeting, maybe. Well, uh, the water good. is still under 50, yeah, the water is still under 50 degrees. 
the wreck is uncovered more than it has been last year even, which means there's a lot of new stuff out there. So from that aspect, it's, it's worthwhile to go back out because now it's even newer than last year's. And last year we found dead eyes that we hadn't found before in a long time. How about any new cable or chain or anchors? Uh, did not hear any, any news on if they found any new chain and anchors, even though it is still on there, uh, covered over by sand. And there was some talk about going out to Max Rec this coming week, since they know that one's been uncovered. Maybe the other one has got uh, less sand than it had last year. Uh, I do know that we had other muddies out. In, I think it's Ramona, down in the Kalamazoo area. Uh-huh. I heard their Wednesday night dives. Okay. And I think Mr. Curtis was part of that one. And some of so I think where I last heard you, you were talking about uh, that there's some talk of going out to Max Rec this weekend. Yeah, that was one of the comments that came up since so much of the Havana was even newer than last year. Possibly that some of the sand has shifted off of Max Rec, and it will be interesting, especially if you're the first on it, to see what it looks like this year. And then I mentioned... That, uh, Curtis was out, Mr. Richard, from the club, uh, since SAS diving has not reinitiated. It's already today, or Wednesday, for the Thursday night dives out at Kalamazoo. But as in everywhere, it's everywhere, the temperatures are still not above uh, the high 40s. Wow. It's still not above the high 40s. And with the rain, right, it's like 48, something like that, everywhere. And the Great Lakes, of course, are almost 9 or 10 degrees colder than they should be by this time of the year. And you know they're putting a new buoy. we got the buoy out now by the cook plant, right? Correct. Yeah. You're yeah, familiar that, with that one. Yep. We, we talked about that last week. You know that they're putting one off of South Haven. Right. Now they're putting one off of South Haven. No, I didn't so know that. So that's going to be actually really good. Yeah, that's it's coming up brand new. Uh, that's going to be RIP Plus. And the steelheaders and some other organizations are contributing money to do that. That's going to be really nice because it'll give you a cross-reference between them and us to help determine what's causing water clarities, maybe. So if we can see deltas into the temperatures at the different levels from there to us, uh, we might be able to start get some kind of background data for when the ability to be good or bad. So that's a, a, a nice little item up, a nice plus. Yeah, well, the nice thing about having the two locations is a lot of times when you look at the reports, it will say, you know, the the wind's coming from a certain direction and the waves are building. That's going to help you validate that because you can determine which north or south. Because there's been times where we've gone south on the lake and the waves might be three to four feet and we just for kicks went north and it was one foot. So it just kind of depends on the wind direction and how everything's going. So this would... This might help us decide which way we're going to head. Oh, it would be great if Michigan City got one and uh, Grand Haven. Then we could really be able to do some trending. Yeah. And we probably get pretty good at predicting how clear the water is. And do cross-connections, yes. Well, I think we probably... So those are the major items. Yeah. I was going to say, those are, I think, the major items that went on this 
very wet wise. Uh, I did talk to Kevin Ailes, uh, who's working out at Woods Lake, and uh, we were discussing some items there. They found some uh, snapping turtles, maybe not the alligator snappers, but uh, but the snapping turtles, uh, rather large ones, dead, uh, floating in the water by some fishermen the other day. And uh, I asked him if he was out there again and saw them, checking to see if they were killed by the environment, something they ate. Or did something bite on them? I'd be very curious to know about that. I would be too. So it seems to be unusual for you know more than one snapping turtle to be dead at the same time. That's might be something up. Yeah, uh, the thought pattern was because it stayed ice covered so long that it was still ice uh, the week before we dove it last, and that perhaps the uh, turtles did not have sufficient fat that uh, they ran out of food, you know, supply in their hibernation stage before the ice melted. And now that they're decomposing, they came up to the surface. Ah, that's possible. Yeah, this year, because it had extreme ice coverage that they normally have not seen in years upon years upon years. As a side note to that, though, I was doing reading up on uh, turtles, believe it or not, of all the odd items to, to be looking at. And uh, I'm, I'm looking for my note real quick, so give me one my documents. Michigan has 10 different varieties of turtles, by the way, only one of which is a snapping turtle, all right? Now, that differentiates from the alligator snapping turtle. And what I found interesting is that if you look that up, the alligator snapper is not uh, indigenous to this area. But if you go to the sites for sightings, it is quite unique because of the non-indigenous occurrences. It is identified specifically in the St. Joe River in Berrien County, Michigan. Now, the alligators... And we have found them here. And... Yeah. Mm-hmm. and is that is big it? mother that looks like a freaking dragon? Yeah, that's the one we have found in the river last year. And we know they were in Barren Lake already from years ago. So it was quite interesting to see that identified as, yes, Virginia, we do have non-indigenous occurrences of alligator snapper in this area documented. Yeah. Yeah, so we're not just crazy. Well, I mean, we're well, crazy. Well, I, I was looking at it and, and found out that the, remember we kept saying big as manhole covers and people are saying, wow, that's big, it's hard to believe. Well, the record size for one of those alligator snappers is 251 pounds and 32 inches shell length, not around it. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine the size of that guy's jaws? I don't want to. I think that I might become like cheese fry yeah. and that might make me not like turtles. <laughs> yeah. 251 pounds, three feet, basically. That's got to be one freaking large turtle. Making you almost think of the the uh, tortuga, you know, yeah, the the big sea turtles, because those guys are pretty big. So that would be in the same size category. Yeah. And their ages, when they get that big, you're talking multiple, multiple decades. And the sea turtle, they can be 150 years old. Yeah. Well, the difference is these these alligator snappers will actually take a chunk out of you. Well, that's the other item. I was looking that up to see their habits. And uh, generally, generally, <laughs> they do not bite underwater. 
and they are a lot more mobile and um, aggressive on the surface. And you don't want to work around with their eggs if they're in the vicinity. Oh, yeah. So Kevin was concerned that down there he may come across some of those himself. And since the visibility sucks and the mud is muck is so deep, he was of the opinion, how do I help avoid that? And we said, that's why I use a stainless steel prod when I'm down there to keep my fingers because we know they will, in fact, bite through uh, broom handles with no trouble, which means your thumbs and fingers ain't going to be much of an obstacle. Yeah. Well, and the thing is that like, I'm, I'm a, a muck diver where I just tend to like to use my hands because all my great finds, I've just laid my hands on them, and I even through neoprene, I can usually sense what type of bottle it is. But uh, it's only going to take one turtle bite, and I'm going to give that up. Well, when I'm down there in three foot of muck, it's really nice to have the, the paddles or the prods like I use because it gives me a little extra depth. And, again, if you're doing that movement, it gives vibrations and the turtles get out of your way. I have never run into a turtle when I'm mucking. I've had a couple go by me and scared the hell out of me. And last year was the only occurrence I've actually had snappers go by me. But that was because they were going someplace and that's, they weren't coming at me, per se. Well, when we're in the muck, that's not where the turtle's at. They're not settling down in the muck. They're going in the holes in the banks and hanging under logs and stuff, aren't they? Yeah, well, I was looking into that, too. I was curious about, okay, where do those guys hibernate? Because in Michigan, you've got land turtles. And they actually got up on land, dig a hole, cover it with dirt and leaves, and hibernate during the, during the winter. I didn't realize that. Uh, some of these guys, then, they just burrow into the bottom, breathe through their skin, which they do, and they hibernate there. So possibly, depending on what you're talking about, you know, is it muck they're in or is it actual mud into the side? I would think they'd be more into the side as opposed to the bottom out in the middle of the river. Yeah. Because you don't have, you have hard pack out there, remember? The soft pack's going to be along the sides, and that's where we've been digging lately. Mm-hmm. And as that new spot we're going to be at this spring, that's an interesting muck, you know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of trees there, a lot of wood, so I will have my prods. Yeah. I don't blame you. I'm, uh, you, you. You may be convincing me as well. Well, remember we saw some snakes out there last year we hadn't seen before. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, snakes do bite underwater, and so do moccasins, even though we don't have any here. I'm sure yeah. the DNR knows what they're talking about. Yeah. But uh, I have been in the water and disturbed a pack of snakes, and uh, it gets real. Uh, you get an adrenaline rush really quick. <laughs> So that would be interesting if we found one of those. I'd like to have my video on if that happens. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good, a good image to capture. Well, actually, you'll have one hell of a blur because I'm going to be backpacking. But it would be interesting. Not that we're trying to scare anybody about this stuff, but uh, hey, awareness. Yeah, we're not going to go noodling for catfish or turtles. No, we decided that's not a good idea to do. No, I, I'm not of the noodler mindset. And for those who don't know what no. noodling is, that's where you stick your hand and you let it bite on and you pull it out. And oh, no, have... it is. <laughs> okay, catfish, yes, if you're catfish noodling. Yeah. But for the turtles, normally the turtle, normally, i got to paraphrase it, normally 
the smart turtle go in head first. So when you put your hand in there to hit the turtles, you got their backside. Well, me, I'm going to get that that retarded turtle. Yeah. Not retarded. What's the other word? Mentally deficient. The that's special not turtle. Be PC. Yeah, I don't. Know I'm going to get the turtle that's not. Uh, I don't know. That's probably not PC. I'm going to get the turtle that backed in the wrong way. So instead of the butt, I'm going to have a small, and that would be a big thing to grab. So that's why I'm not going to do the noodling. No, I agree with turtle you there. Turtle or or the uh, catfish. Well, again, we'd like to thank everybody who's listening this week. We apologize for the sound quality because it is going to be horrendous. There's going to be a limit to how much I can clean this up. So this will be in honor of our 200th episode. This will probably be one of the worst audio we've had in a long time. Uh, we'll try and make it up. I'm, I, and I was almost tempted after seeing how much problems we had of, of almost redoing the whole podcast. But uh, I don't know if uh, I could... We, we need to apologize, apologize to the people who uh, went to listen to us on talk show because uh, i don't think we've been able to tell them that by the way we're having audio issues and we're not available so yeah, I, if you're listening to this in retrospect sorry people yeah yeah we got to come up with a better solution we're but gonna, at this point it's all the internet the internet has just been crap and it's you know and at work so for those of you who know what it is i've got oc3s and oc I'm trying to remember what it is, if it's a 19 or a 32 or something, is our other connection. And I even have problems there. And those are huge, giant bandwidths, way beyond what you get with cable or DSL. And it's just, the internet is just not, it's, and honestly what it is, is it's all the Netflix traffic is really tying up the internet. So, but that's inside baseball and talk for another time and let me complain about something else. But uh, again, we appreciate you listening. Uh, Send us any feedback. You can Contact us at the show at scubobsessed.com. Also on Twitter at scubobsessed. Uh, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubobsessed. You can visit our website, www.scubobsessed.com. And also, you've got the Mud Club, mudclub.scubobsessed.com as well. Uh, Jim did get a chance to, to pitch the underwater preserve, but go over there, dive SWMUC. There's an MUP, Dive Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve. So it's dive, com, and that's the Underwater Preserve. And I did add a map of all the dive shops who have donated, so we appreciate that. And if you join, you can get over 25 free air fills if you happen to go to all the different dive shops and take them up on it. Even if you only get to one or two, uh, it's still for a good cause. And I'd say, Mac, it is that time of the show. And we're not talking karaoke. We are talking the bad scuba joke. Are you ready? I'm sitting down. Okay. We have a small vessel that is approaching uh, the St. Joe River. The fog is so dense, the captain sends a deckhand to the bow and reduces the speed to dead slow ahead. He says, can you see anything? The captain shouts. Not a tiny thing is the answer from the bow. The captain lets the ship slide ahead at a slow speed, hoping that the currents don't set the ship too far off. Still nothing in sight, the captain says. Nothing at all, was the reply. Oh, now there's something that seems to be. It's an object. Can you see it now? No, not really. It's just a shadow. Yes, it looks like a buoy. Oh, yes, I can recognize the shape. It's a buoy. Just a little closer when you head up a little bit more after a short moment. What type of buoy? Can you see it? No, I can't. Can't distinguish the colors it's just a shadow in the fog get closer 
It's just a little starboard. Again, the captain turns the ship a bit and continues dead slow, running through thick fog. Do you know what kind of buoy it is, the captain? Well, it's a... And then all of a sudden, they, they stop moving forward. Oh, yes, I can see it. It's a shallow water warning. Uh, yeah. Well, it wasn't a sudden stop. It was a grinding slowdown. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of ran into it. So, uh, Until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe.